morning harvest. You can go ahead and have a seat. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, my name is Andrew Watkins. I have the privilege of serving here at Harvest Annapolis as an associate pastor. And whether you're joining us in person or you're tuning in online on this cold, cold Sunday morning, uh, we're really thankful that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. I'm, I'm pretty sure that somehow this week we like skipped straight through fall and all the way to January. And uh, I know I'm probably in the minority on on this, but I love it. I know that might be very unpopular. Let it snow. Let's go. Let's, let's get Let's get ready for winter. Uh, this is my kind of weather, but uh, I'm not up here to give a weather report, and I don't think that you're here to hear me give one. Uh, so how about we just skip the meteorology, and uh, let's go ahead and get into God's Word. Can we do that this morning? So uh, if you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles, your smartphones, your tablets, or whatever it is that you typically use to get your eyes on God's Word. And would you meet me in Titus chapter 4 this morning? Just kidding. There is no Titus chapter 4. Don't, don't go looking for it. You won't find it. Uh, how about Psalm 66 this morning? We're going to bridge the gap between our uh, Build Your Church series that we've gone through Titus and finished last week. And before, as Nate said, we're going to be starting our Christmas series next week. But uh, this week, we're just going to take a, a hit the pause button on all of that. And we're going to be in Psalm 66 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I would still uh, love it if you could follow along with us. There's a couple ways you could do that. You could just pull out a phone and Google Psalm 66 ESV, and it'll pop right up for you. Uh, or if you would prefer a paper Bible, we have some on the table in the back that you could uh, not just borrow, but if you don't have one at all, we would love for you to just want, take one of those and keep it as our gift to you so that you have uh, God's Word uh, in your life. We'd love for you to just make that our gift to you. Uh, but let's go ahead and stop, and let's pause and pray for our time together in God's Word this morning. Father, would you silence our hearts this morning? As we head into holiday seasons, Father, it's, it gets to be a very busy time. And uh, even starting uh, probably this afternoon as people get ready to travel and decorate and, and do all these sorts of things, Father, we don't want to run past you. And so we ask that you would just help us in this moment to settle our, our hearts, to, uh, to focus our hearts on you through your word in a way that would impact us in this moment by your spirit and help us in these next several weeks of, of busyness to reflect on you and to remember who you are and what you've done for us. So bless our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've always found it interesting that uh, people who were born and raised in certain parts of the world tend to use the word holidays to refer to vacations. I've always found that interesting because while I know what they mean when they say the word holiday, at least, at least in my experience, when I think of the American definition of the word holidays, I don't think of vacations. I don't know about you, but when I think of, of holidays, I think of rushing way more than I think of relaxation. I think of, of traffic. I already saw some of that yesterday. I think of traffic way more than I think of tranquility. And, uh, as much as I hate to admit it, I, I think sometimes way more of nuisance than I think of naps, because like naps are what I want on vacation. So maybe you can relate to some of those sentiments. Well, see, starting at some point this week, from now until like some point in the middle of January, you'll probably find yourself so busy doing things for the holidays that you'll almost speed right past the point of the holidays. And somehow, I know that even though it's not your intention to do this, somehow you'll run the risk of celebrating Thanksgiving this week without the thanks or the giving, and then maybe get to the point of Christmas, and then maybe almost run the risk of celebrating Christmas without much more than a rushed pause to consider Christ. It happens to the best of us. To the traffic, the, the travel, the, the turkey, 
the parties, the, the get-togethers, the, the, the family drama. Anybody, anybody know anything about that? The family drama, the football, the, the Black Friday shopping on Thanksgiving afternoon, all of it is enough to, to distract any of us from anything having to do with the good and gracious God who has given us everything. And again, we'll be so busy doing things for the holidays that we'll almost speed past the point of the holidays. In other words, this week you might run the risk of slow rolling Thanksgiving. Now just in case you don't know what it means to slow roll something, uh, allow me to, to quote for you the Maryland Motor Vehicle Law, what it says about stop signs. Uh, it says, unless otherwise directed by a police officer or traffic control signal, the driver of a vehicle approaching a stop sign at an intersection shall come to a complete stop at the near side of an intersection of a clearly marked stop line. Sounds simple, right? Sounds pretty self-explanatory. Like we should be able to, to handle an instruction like that, but, but, but in our always in a rush, gotta get there fast culture that we live in, who has time for stop signs? Like who has time for, for something like that? And so, so the longer we drive and the more, the more distracted we are by, by all the things that we're doing while we're driving and the more, the more comfortable we feel that we'll just be fine, the more we run the risk of coming up to a stop sign and just, just kind of, just, Rolling right through it. You're like, we'll take a glance. We'll make sure that nothing major, like we're not going to hit by a train or anything like, but, but we'll just kind of slow roll right through it as if nothing important was ever there for us to see in the first place. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we'll try to do with Thanksgiving this week. But there's a word in our passage this morning that calls us to have a full stop Thanksgiving. The word, the Hebrew word Selah shows up three times in our passage this morning, and it's a scriptural stop sign, if you will. There's no exact word for it in English, and that's why in your English Bibles the word Selah is just written as Selah, and there's not an exact definition for us that, that, that we're fully aware of, but, but scholars will tell us that if there's a, a phrase that can kind of capture the main aspect of the word Selah, it would be to stop and reflect, to take a breath. It's not something we do well, is it? Like if I pause too long there, it gets awkward, doesn't it? We don't stop and reflect well. It's, it's what driver's ed taught you to do at a stop sign, to come to a full stop, to, to pay attention, to take the time at a stop sign, to, to look around and, and, and evaluate what's around you and then, and then let what you've seen inform your next move. So like if you're a parent teaching your kid to drive, what you probably want them to do when they come to a stop sign is like, go ahead and put it in park and sit there for a few minutes. Like take your time and look around. Don't, don't rush past it because we know that if you slow roll a stop sign, bad things can happen. So Selah, don't rush. Stop and reflect. And that's what the psalmist wants us to do this Thanksgiving as he calls our attention in Psalm 66. And so if you're taking notes with us this morning, here's our big idea, our, our one-sentence overarching theme of the passage that will tie it together for us. Our, our big idea this morning is this. Considering how God's been to us, causes full stop thanksgiving in us. <clears throat> Again, considering how God's been to us causes full stop thanksgiving in us. Does anybody want a change of pace this holiday season? Like anybody want to go through this week being fueled and filled as opposed to like, like dragged through it and depleted at the end of the season? Well, the psalmist has five steps for us to get to a full stop thanksgiving. And here's the first step. Step number one is to realize the awesomeness of God. 
to realize the awesomeness of God. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm 66, look with me at the first four verses of Psalm 66. The psalmist writing underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says this. He says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. All right, I've got to know. So, so what's at the top of your list of things that are the most awesome things you've ever seen or experienced? Like if you were to pull out a pen right now and as you're taking notes, like jot down like the top five most awesome things you've ever seen or experienced, what would be at the top of that list? Now maybe depending on your interests, you would uh, jot down the, the best, most delicious food that you've ever tasted. Or maybe, maybe uh, you would, if you're a, if a movie person, you'd, you'd jot down like the, the most epic movie you've ever sat through. Or maybe those of us that are sports fans would start jotting down the the five most awesome moments in sports history that maybe we've even gotten to witness in person. Or maybe if you're an adventurous type of person that that you might try to rank the top five biggest adrenaline rushes you've ever experienced. But whatever it is that tops that list of the most awesome things that you've ever been around, maybe this is just my get off my lawn moment, but, but let me just go ahead and say that whatever it is at the top of your list, if it's not God himself... It's not that awesome. Sorry to burst your bubble, but it's not that awesome. See, awesome is one of those words that we we throw around so much that eventually it kind of loses its meaning, right? Like happy meals are not awesome. Despite what a six-year-old might say, happy meals are not awesome. They don't have a full understanding of the word awesome. See, nothing this world has to offer us is as awesome as God is. And if we're going to have a full stop Thanksgiving, one of the first things we're going to have to do is stop and realize the true awesomeness of God. See, in these first few verses, the psalmist is somewhere between inviting us and, and urging us to, to, and literally all of the earth, to shout for joy to God and to sing the glory of His name and to give Him glorious praise. Why? Because as verse 3 says, His deeds are awesome. So great is his power that his enemies come cringing to him. Let's just stop right there for a second and get a really clear picture of what what that's talking about because if we're not careful, that phrase can allow our minds to kind of create an incorrect picture of the character of God. See, unfortunately, some of us, when we hear the phrase, God's power is so great that his enemies come cringing to him, maybe because of some horrible things in our past that we've experienced, you're tempted to equate God with a, with a cosmic bully because unfortunately you know all too well what it's like to, to be around someone who, who, who has anger issues and loses their cool and flexes the muscles of their power. You know what it's like to, to cringe in those moments when it's happening. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say three things. First of all, I'm so sorry that that's been a reality in your life. And second of all, I want you to know that you are loved and welcome and safe here. And third, I want you to know that's not what God's like. That's not the picture that the psalmist is, is painting for us here. No, the picture of God here in Psalm 66 is much more like the picture that C.S. Lewis paints of Aslan the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia. In that series, Lucy and Susan, a couple of girls in this fictional land of Narnia, are, are about to meet Aslan the lion, and they're having a conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about about meeting Aslan and what that's going to be like. And, and let me just read for you what C.S. Lewis said that that conversation was going to be like, or the, what he says the conversation was. Lucy asked, is he a man? 
Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood and son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. All that you will, dearie. And make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just plain silly. Well, then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, God isn't just powerful. He's both powerful and good. And that, friends, is the difference between the kind of abusive power that we ought to run from and the good power that we ought to run to, the awesome power of God that we ought to run to and worship Him when we get there. Because listen, who else could create galaxies by speaking them into existence? Who else, by the, by the word of His mouth, could perfectly position the sun in just the right place so that it's not too close, that it incinerates us, and it's not too far away, that, it, that we freeze to death? And then just and then and then sustain it there perfectly for to care for us for this long. Who else could carve out the Grand Canyon? Who else could shape Mount Everest? And who else could could control with pinpoint accuracy the exact spot where every lightning bolt reaches down and touches Earth? And who else can put breath in your lungs? And then do it again. And then do it again and then do it again, all while he's doing it for every other living person and thing on the entire planet, all at the same time, from, from the most influential politician you can imagine down to the most insignificant goldfish at PetSmart right now. Who else could do that? I think there's a word for us in the text. That word is awesome. And that's why verse 4 says, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And there's, and there's the command for us, Selah. Don't slow roll. Stop and reflect on what you've just heard. Do you realize the awesomeness of God? Have you stopped to consider it lately? That's the first step to a full stop Thanksgiving. But, but the psalmist doesn't stop there because next he wants us to remember the faithfulness of God. To remember the faithfulness of God. That's our second step this morning. And so if you would look back at verses 5 through 7 in Psalm 66. The psalmist goes on and he says, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. As the saying goes, familiarity breeds contempt. In other words, the longer that you're around someone, the, the less in all of them you tend to be. So for example, those of us that are, that are married this morning, think back to before you were married when you were still dating your spouse and just remember what that was like. You treasured every gift, every sweet thing that, that your spouse did when, they were, when you were still dating. You, you, everything they gave you, you treated like they had just cut off their arm and given it to you. If they brought you a, a candy bar or left you a note, it was the most precious, awesome thing, and you, you couldn't get over how awesome they were being to you. But then what happens as the years of marriage go by? What tends to happen, if you're not careful, 
you start losing that level of appreciation for what they do. Maybe you even stop noticing all the ways that they go out of their way to serve you. Your relationship moves from, oh, you brought me a candy bar, how sweet, to, hey, here's the list of things I want you to pick up for me on your way home from work today. I'll ignore the laughing. (laughs) But familiarity breeds contempt, and not just in our human relationships. So the same thing happens in our relationship with the Lord. If we're not careful, we can forget the faithfulness of God. That's why after the psalmist has challenged the the whole world to realize the awesomeness of God in a general sense, he, he gets specific and he says, come and see what God has done. Like, let's have some show and tell. Let me draw your attention to some things. Let me remind you of how faithful he's been. So in the moment, you'll remember how faithful he'll be. Obviously, he's writing for the Israelites. So in verse 6, he shines the spotlight on God's faithfulness in two major moments in their history. First, he mentions the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus 14 when God's people were on their way out of captivity in Egypt and, and Pharaoh's army was, was coming up behind them in, in hot pursuit. Now, this was a critical moment. This was a, a do-or-die moment. Like God's got to show up at this point or there is no more room to run. Something's got to happen. He's got to show up and he's got to do something. And he did. He parted the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry land. And then after they crossed and their enemies were chasing them through that same dry land, God dropped the sea on them to to preserve his people. So I'll just repeat verse 5. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. Then the psalmist brings up the crossing of the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3 when God basically did pretty much the same thing again. Even after all the rebellion and all their grumbling in the wilderness and everything that had happened between Exodus 14 and Joshua 3, in this major moment in their history, God in His grace parted the waters again and they just walked into the promised land, a land they did not deserve. Because He is awesome in His deeds towards the children of man. And the psalmist says, there did we rejoice in Him. In other words, in that moment, the faithfulness, the the care of God for us, His intervention in our lives was so evident to us that we couldn't help but celebrate and worship Him in the moment. There was no way we could do anything else except have full stop thanksgiving. Because listen, it's easy for us to look back on our lives and remember God's faithfulness in the big moments. It's easy to look back on the times in our lives when things were critical and the stakes were high and if God didn't show up in the moment, if He didn't, if he didn't intervene in our lives right in that moment, then maybe even right now our lives would look tragically different than they do. We needed Him in that moment. And chances are you can think of a moment or two like that in your life. I know I can. And if you're like me and you think back to those major moments where you needed God to show up and do something, and just thinking about them can almost transport you back to that time. You can, you can remember what it was like. You can feel the emotions that you felt. You can remember the gratitude that you experienced after He rescued you. But it's easy to remember His faithfulness in those big moments. But it's much harder to remember His faithfulness in the little moments. The routine moments, the everyday, mundane, day-to-day moments. See, it's one thing to remember how he saved your life or set you free from something major 10 years ago. It's another thing entirely to remember how he sustained you last week when you didn't even realize that you needed him to. But you did need him. And he did sustain you. And he was faithful. Did you notice? Will you remember? Will you praise him for it? 
That's why in Joshua chapter 4, right after God was faithful to his people in Joshua chapter 3, the first thing the Israelites did when they got to the other side of the Jordan River was to build monuments to help them remember God's faithfulness so that, so that decades and, and generations down, down from then, when, when their children and grandchildren would, would stumble across these stones, they would, they would ask, what do these stones mean? And then they would say, well, let me just tell you about God's faithfulness. Let me remind you what it was like, what he did for us. Let me, let me remember God's faithfulness with you. Because as verse 7 says, God is both watching and ruling over the nations. He doesn't miss a thing and he is watching and caring over you right now. He's faithful. Selah, don't slow roll it. Stop and think about his faithfulness. Take a breath and remember God's faithfulness to you. But we can't stay there for too long because the psalmist is waiting for us to move from simple remembering of God's faithfulness to serious reflection because step number three to having a full stop thanksgiving is to reflect on the goodness of God. To reflect on the goodness of God. Back in Psalm 66, psalmist continues on in verses 8 through 12. He says, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to realize that there's a huge difference between just remembering something and reflecting on it. So all remembering means is that you can, you can recall it. You can bring it back to mind. It's, it's information identification. It's having the, the right answers when you watch Jeopardy. But to truly reflect on something takes a little more effort. Reflection requires more of us. And sometimes it might even mean that we've got to put in a little detective work to make sense of things when, when life gets hard. And then when we can't figure things out through our detective work, it means just determining to, to trust in the faithfulness of God because of what he's demonstrated us to in the past and then look forward to the day when we'll be able to look back on his goodness and see how it all made sense. Because listen, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes it's hard to trust. Sometimes we're in the middle of hard things. It's, it's hard to reflect and to see the goodness of God. When we're going through when things aren't going the way that we think they should, it's, it's easy to find ourselves in a place where our gut reaction is to question everything and, and maybe even blame God for some things. To say things like, God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing me to face this right now? Why would you, why would you put this on me? What are you doing in my life? Why am I the one that's having to go through this right now? And as you gather for Thanksgiving this week, some of you in this room might think back to some very hard moments from this year. You'll be tempted to question whether or not you have anything to be thankful for at all. You'll think back and you'll very much identify with the language of the psalmist here in Psalm 66. And you'll be tempted in these, in these moments this week as you're trying to wrestle with, do I have anything to be thankful for? Has, has God been good to me this year? You'll be tempted to say things like Psalm 66, God, you have tested me. You've tried me as silver is tried. You, you brought me into a net where I felt captive and I couldn't do anything. There was, I couldn't even move. And you, you laid a crushing burden on my back. You let men ride over my head and you put me through fire and water and it hurt, God. 
You hurt me. Maybe you're still there. Maybe you're still in that place and you're, you're still asking the questions, why is this happening? Why am I going through this right now? God, what are you doing in my life right now? And you're wondering, how in the world can what I'm experiencing in this moment, how in the world can I look at this and how can it lead me to see the goodness of God? How can I get there? You get there through reflection. It will take reflection to connect the dots between suffering and God's goodness. See, God never wastes a trial. He's always doing something in our lives. And while I can't answer for you the specifics of what he's doing in and through your trial, I can tell you the general answer is that he is sanctifying you. Little by little, pain by pain, inch by inch, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, he is using your trial to make you look more like his son, Jesus Christ, for his glory and your good. In verse 12, the psalmist says that God's brought him through fire and through water. And as evangelist Ray Comfort says, God takes us through the fire not to burn us, but to purify us. He takes us through water not to drown us, but to cleanse us. And even more than that, he doesn't just take us through the fire and through the water. He goes with us. Listen to what Isaiah 43 says. The very words of God himself speaking through the prophet Isaiah In Isaiah 43, he says, fear not. That's a command, by the way. I know that's hard, but when we we remember the, the, the greatness and the awesomeness of the one giving the commands, it makes it easier to follow the commands. But he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Trust that. Cling to that like you would cling to a life ring in the middle of an ocean. Because listen, the psalmist testament at the end of verse 12 is that you have brought us out to a place of abundance. In other words, the psalmist would say, when it was all said and done, It's worth it. It was worth the pain. So let me just ask you, do you trust the goodness of God enough to believe that the outcome of your trial will be worth the pain of your trial? Just ask you again, do you trust the goodness of God enough to believe that the outcome of your trial will be worth the pain that you're experiencing right now? Psalmist did. God kept his soul among the living. He did not let his foot slip. You know, winter's coming. I actually saw some ice on the road this morning. And you know that feeling when you've lost your balance on an icy sidewalk and, and you feel like you're going down and your heart like drops through your stomach and you're just waiting for, the, waiting for the pain? That's what trials feel like sometimes, right? Anybody ever have that feeling? The psalmist knew that feeling, but he says, even though it was scary, God never let my skull connect with the concrete. He did not let my foot slip. So he uses the testimony of his trial as a witness to the world. Look at it, right in verse 8, he he connects the dots between the trouble of his trial and the goodness of God and issues another invitation to the world to bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. We've already said that God doesn't waste our trials, so why would we waste our trials? 
as you reflect on what God's doing during the hard seasons of your life, you've got opportunities to steward. So use the testimony of your trial to point to the goodness of God in order to be a witness to the world. And trust me, they will listen. Our world is, is craving stories right now, and you, you'll never know how God might use the testimony that you have for His glory. So reflect on the goodness of God this Thanksgiving. Don't slow roll your trials or you'll miss what God's doing. Stop and reflect. But once we've realized God's awesomeness and remembered His faithfulness and reflected on His goodness, well then what do we do? What should our response be? How should we respond? Well, step number four this morning is to respond with sacrifice to God. To respond with sacrifice to God. Look at the next three verses, 13 through 15. Psalmist shares his response. He says, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah. You know, despite the selfish behavior of Black Friday shoppers just a few hours after they've supposedly given thanks around a Thanksgiving room table, uh, God's word teaches us that a grateful heart is a giving heart. The psalmist has considered God's awesomeness and faithfulness and goodness to him. His, his heart is ready to overflow in worship and sacrifice to the God who's given him everything. Why? Because our big idea this morning, because, because considering how God's been to us causes full stop thanksgiving in us. I realize that most of us aren't all that familiar with the Old Testament sacrificial system. So, so what's actually happening here is apparently when the, the psalmist was facing whatever it was he was facing, he made what was called a vow of praise. What that basically means is when he was in the middle of it, he, he prayed, God, if you will deliver me, if you'll, if you'll show up and you'll work, I will worship you and give you all the glory for what you have done in my situation. And since God did, now that God has answered his prayers, he's going to fulfill his vow by making a sacrifice. But let's be very clear, he, he's not going to tip God like he would tip a delivery driver. He's going to go all out. He's going to be full stop thanksgiving here. We see that because he tells us the kind of sacrifice that he makes in verse 15. He says, I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke and the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. None of us have a whole lot of experience with, with rams and bulls and goats. But what that basically means is, God, I'm going to give you the best of the best. I will spare no expense in, 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 in sacrificing to you in response to what you've done for me. His gratitude drove his giving. What that means for us as, as a people who have been given everything in Christ is that we ought to be the most generous people on the planet, both vertically and horizontally. Vertically, in our relationship with God, we ought to give him everything I mean, he already owns it anyway. We're going to give him everything. And that's why at the end of Romans 11, Paul says, From him, that's God, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then he rolls right into chapter 12 and says, I appeal to you, therefore, because of what I just said, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's everything. That's your time, your talent, your treasures. We ought to give God everything, not in order to get something from Him, but in response to what He has already given us. But then this also has horizontal implications for us as well. 
Think about this. Grateful hearts give and ungrateful hearts hoard. That sentence was convicting to me this week. Grateful hearts give, ungrateful hearts hoard. So if we're truly grateful for what we've been given in Christ vertically, then we won't hoard our time and our talents and our treasures. Instead, we'll express gratitude horizontally by by giving them to those around us as an extension of God's love towards us in Christ. That's why we do things like Operation Christmas Child. Got some pictures coming up on the screen for us, but but last Sunday afternoon after church, you guys packed, and then on Tuesday uh, Tuesday evening, Pastor Dan and I delivered 276 shoeboxes full of gifts for children around the world for Christmas. That's awesome. And the point of that is to share the love of Christ, is to to give horizontally as a as a response to what we've been given in Christ vertically. I never fully understood the operation of the, the, the impact of Operation Christmas Child until we went to church in North Carolina with a young lady that had grown up in an orphanage in another part of the world. And she gave her testimony about how the highlight of her year every year was, was getting that Christmas box and pulling a toothbrush out of it. And the impact that that made for her and pointing her to Christ. It's awesome. And then, spoiler alert, I, I know Pastor Dan's going to introduce this next week, so I won't give specifics, but, but leading up to Christmas, I'll just say that there are going to be some, some challenges that we have for you guys that, that will involve giving horizontally. Why? Not so you can just say you did your duty at Christmas and get all the warm and fuzzy feelings and say, hey, I did my part, but as an extension of the love of God that has been given to you in Christ, and, and then, then pushing that out horizontally to give to others. So stay tuned for that and remember that considering how God's been to you should cause full stop thanksgiving in you and that involves in responding with sacrifice to God. But what's the point though? What's the, what's the pinnacle of full stop thanksgiving? Well, well, the psalmist has one more step for us this morning and that's number five, to rejoice in your salvation from God. To rejoice in your salvation from God. Look back with me one last time. At Psalm 66, the last few verses here, verses 16 through 20, psalmist wraps things up and he says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. And he has attended to the voice of my prayer. So blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. If you pay close enough attention, eventually you'll notice uh, that every preacher has a tell. What I mean by that is that every preacher has their own little things that they do, whether it's something they say or emotions that they do that that totally gives away what's coming next. For instance, uh, Dr. Danny Aiken, the, the president of the seminary that I went to, wears glasses when he preaches. And for those of us that sat through many chapel services with him preaching, uh, we knew that the moment in the sermon when his glasses came off, uh, that means he's about to drop some, some heavy application on us. At the same time, whenever my mentor and preaching professor, Dr. Jim Shaddix, would preach, we knew he was about to get to the good part, the, the grace part of the sermon, when he'd kind of lean in over his pulpit and say, listen, lean in here, friends. Lean in here, loved ones. I've got something to share with you. And he would do that. And that's how I imagine the, the psalmist doing when he gets to these last few verses. I imagine him leaning in over his pulpit and saying, listen, lean in here, friends. 
Listen in here real close, loved ones, except his version in verse 16 is, Come and hear all you hear for God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. means he's about to get to the good part. It's throughout Psalm 66, he's narrowed his focus down from the, from the whole world to just God's people, and then now all the way down to himself and his soul. And he says, let me tell you what God's done for my soul. He says, if I had cherished iniquity, that's sin in my heart, then, then the Lord wouldn't have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. So, so something happened. Something changed. God, God wasn't going to listen, but then, but then he did listen. So, so something different has happened. Something's changed. What was it? Well, what changed was his relationship to sin, and it changed through repentance. See, sin separates us from God. Genesis 1 and 2, everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God. But then in Genesis chapter 3, they rebelled. God said, don't eat the fruit, but they did it anyway. They, they sinned, and their sin plunged the whole world into sin. Their sin separated them from God. It separated us from God. And then everyone, everyone else who's ever lived down throughout human history has only added to that separation with our own sin. Sin is our greatest problem. God is a holy, perfect God, and because He is a holy, perfect God, He cannot, does not, and will not have sin in His presence. In our sin, we are completely separated from Him, and the punishment for our sin is eternity in a very literal, literal physical place called hell. And we cannot save ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't pay our own debt. We can't find our own way back to God. If there was ever any chance that we would have reconciliation between us and God, it was going to have to come from Him. And it did. Because God Himself, the second person of the Trinity, temporarily set aside His glory in heaven and came to earth and took on, heaven, or took on human flesh in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And He was born in, in Bethlehem and He was laid in a manger, but that baby in a manger did not stay a baby in a manger. No, He, he grew and He lived the perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. And then he went to the cross where he, he took on himself the punishment that we deserve and died the death that we deserve so that if we would, 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 would repent, there's that word, if we would no longer cherish iniquity in our hearts because he has been raised from the dead, if we would repent and instead change directions and place our faith, our hope, and trust in him alone for our salvation, then the problem of our sin would be solved and we would be reconciled back to God. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, I want to challenge you to make today the day of salvation. Run to Jesus and be saved. You can talk to him right where you're sitting. You can come find me after the service. Come find pastor and talk to someone. But, but, but a, a sincere prayer of repentance is one that God will always hear. But you don't always have time. So repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ today. But friends, if you are in Christ whether it's as of five seconds ago or 50 years ago, rejoice in your salvation from God. Say with the psalmist what he says in verse 20, Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast, never ending, always ready, forever lasting love from me. Listen, if you don't feel like you have anything to be thankful for this Thanksgiving, stop and reflect on the salvation that is yours in Jesus Christ. Through the steadfast love of God that has been given to you, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. He is perfectly pleased with you right now because He is perfectly pleased with His Son, Jesus Christ, who has given you His own righteousness.
full stop thanksgiving. Selah. Friends, there's one more thing you should know about the word Selah. Yes, the primary aspect of Selah does mean to stop and reflect, but that's still kind of an incomplete picture. Stop and reflect tells us what to do, but it doesn't tell us what to expect while we're stopping and reflecting. Again, there's no exact word, there's no particular definition that completely encapsulates the word Selah. But if I could just suggest another phrase to complete the picture, it would be to, to lift up and exalt because you have been breathlessly wowed. It's to be left speechless by what you've seen, but somehow still full of praise at the exact same time. On, on a cosmic level, it's to, to be a fan who literally can't believe what you just saw your favorite team do with your own eyes, but at the same time not be able to keep your mouth shut about it because it was so amazing. You've, you've got to erupt in celebration and praise because of it. 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us about the time that the queen of Sheba went to visit King Solomon. Obviously, as a queen herself, the queen of Sheba would have been acquainted with with royalty. She knew a thing or two about riches and and power and and majesty. She would have been been comfortable in that setting. Like for most of us who who aren't used to that sort of thing, if we were to somehow wander into Buckingham Palace this morning, we'd we'd feel way out of place, but the queen of Sheba would not have. It was normal for her. In fact, we're told in the passage that when she went to see King Solomon, the queen of Sheba showed up with a whole entourage of her own people riding in this parade of of camels that were covered in gold and, and, and expensive stuff. This was, a, this was an awesome scene. She would have been a really hard person to impress. But when she got there and saw how amazing Solomon's palace was and how incredible the food tasted and how impressive his officials were and, and how, how many servants he had and the kind of sacrifices he made and how he spared no expense for everything. When, he, when she took in the whole picture, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 4 tells us that there was no more breath left in her. What she saw took her breath away. She went and she saw... And she reflected, and she was speechless. But somehow still the next few verses in 1 Kings chapter 10, she had lots to say. She was still full of praise, even though she was speechless. Selah. Jesus mentions that encounter in Luke chapter 11. He's talking about the time when King Solomon took the queen's breath away. But as he's teaching and he's using that as an example, he stops he looks at his followers he says listen there's something you need to know it's exact words he says behold something greater than Solomon is here he's talking about himself so think about this if if an encounter with King Solomon and all his riches and power and glory and majesty left the queen of Sheba breathless How much more breathlessly wowed should an encounter with the beauty and majesty and glory of Jesus Christ, the King of kings, God himself in the flesh, leave us? And how much more should we respond to what we've seen and what we've experienced and what has been given to us in Jesus? How much more should we respond in worship and thanksgiving? Because that's what Psalm 66 offers us this morning if we're wise enough to stop and consider it because Jesus is the embodiment 
of the awesomeness of God and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God because He is our salvation. So Selah, full stop thanksgiving at the, foot of, at the feet of Jesus. We're going to be speechless yet somehow full of unending praise for our Savior. I hope that's what we do this week. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are and how you've been to us. You are such a gracious God to such an undeserving people as us. Father, as I prayed earlier, we're heading into a, just in our culture, a, a busy season where we will be so busy that We'll be tempted to run straight past you and who you are and what you've done and how you've been to us. But, but Father, put up your stop signs in our lives. Give us the self-control and the discipline to stop and to remember and to reflect on and to consider who you are and how you've been to us. Help that to be a time where our souls are encouraged vertically as we as we remember your faithfulness and help it to be a time where we are we are are, are serving as a witness to the world because of how you've been to us. Give us the boldness to share our testimonies and and things like that this week as we gather around tables with family members and we run into people as we're running errands. Help us to not run straight past who you are and what you've done. Make this year a full stop thanksgiving for a people who are grateful for a great God. Be honored and glorified in the worship that we're about to give you. In Jesus' name, amen.